So if you um, have a scripture with you, a Bible with you, the first chapter of the book of Matthew is where I will land. I appreciated the song that Penny was leading us in and Lauren and the band just come and see what God has done. And that's the heart cry of us today as we gather and my prayer um, as we open the Word of God and talk about the incarnation of the living God, is that we will be a people who come and see, who receive, and who are undone before the King of Glory. And so, uh, welcome to worship today. I hope that, that this is anything but an ordinary hour for you and for me. We have, um, we have sometimes we come into this room and um, we get to connect dots of what God's doing among our church, a family, and uh, we have we have the chance to speak this come and see to many people over the weekend. Um, for instance, we had an international come and see yesterday. Um, our choir and varying parts and family members of choir just stood in the airport for an hour, Ryan, and just confessed the great goodness of our Savior as people were coming in from all over the globe. Noel, Noel. Come and see this. Our Lord has come. Come and see what He's done. And so, by the way, we're just going to sing to every person that is coming in of the great goodness of our Father. And so uh, that's that's what your church family's been up to this weekend. And over the last week, I don't I don't know if uh, Miss Martha, Martha and Miss Margaret are in the room right now. Um, I think that I know Miss Margaret just slipped out of the choir. Miss Margaret, Miss Martha went in Atlanta, Georgia, this past week, and I think that if they're in town, instead of me telling this whole story, we're just going to share it in context of our morning of worship about the true power of the joy of Christ when um, 1.6 million mysterious gospel-focused boxes scatter around the world for the sake of the King of Glory. And so, um, Dr. Dan, I stood in your class and I had a come-and-see-what-the-Lord-has-done moment just standing and listening to those two ladies' story, the power of Samaritan's Purse and the glory of the cross of Christ going across the globe through boxes, shoe boxes. Noel, come and see what the Lord has done in airports across the globe, spawning out of Atlanta, sitting at the landing last night. Several of the girls in our church are in a gospel-centered, Christ-oriented um, dance group and Baptists can dance. I can fully vouch for that now and they can do it well. And for the glory of God. Amen? It's exciting now. So Dan, Ryan's already taught about this. Like, you know, we should have a little dancing in here sometimes when we're singing. So um, free yourself. But it was powerful and beautiful and cold. And so cold. And yet so beautiful and powerful as we stood in the heart of our city at the landing and made great confession of the glory of the cross. And we truly stood at a crossroads and I thought I was just left pondering and I don't have my answer, I'm just pondering right now because um, two of the major bars in our city opened simultaneous to the singing of um, you are a child of God and you're no longer a slave. And I was just sitting and watching 
openings and walkings and moving about and thinking, oh God, that the church of Jesus Christ would make this confession in such a manner that everyone could come and see. And I don't know what that means, except I just read in the book of Matthew that Jesus is an extraordinary and furious friend of sinners and has a furious love that moves toward them. So I'm just wondering what that looks like for the church to say, not just come and say, oh, by the way, come here and say, that's not, that's not what the invitation is, um, according to the gospel. It's, let me show you how God put on flesh and came and dwelt among us, leaving the, um, the, um, the imperative and beautiful joys of heaven to come and walk among us, putting on flesh. Come and see the radical steps that our God has made to come and dwell among us. This is an incredible love. And so I, I come to you today to just um, spend some time talking about the furious love of God. It's the Advent season, and we define Advent really um, well. I didn't define it, I read it in the dictionary. It's the eager expectation of something that is much anticipated. That's the Advent. Without putting in any doctrine or theology, just the word Advent means this. That we're as a people eagerly expectant because there is something that we must anticipate in this season. Last week we talked about Hope and Anna and Simeon and just the hope that convicted their soul, the hope that prepared their minds and bodies and lives, that the hope of Anna, who for 84 years would prepare herself for the glorious reckoning of the King of Glory coming to earth. Just this preparation and conviction. I think that, I think that a lot of us hope in a manner of the world as it, as it maybe even comes to our faith, like, I hope this is going to happen, but I doubt it's really going to come about. Like, I hope that the Jaguars today are going to beat a perennial Super Bowl contender. You know that feeling right now as a Jags fan? Like, that's the way we hope in this world. Like, I hope. Uh. You know, we Anna and Simeon don't respond in that manner. Their hope is a conviction of this manner. I hope that what God has already said He's done and that He has already done, that I can walk in faithfulness in the midst of that hope because my God has already completed this and say, so I hope already in a forward completion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a much better hope than I'm feeling for 425 this afternoon. And some of you, I mean, we'll get off football now. I, just, I'm, I am hoping in what God has already promised. And for Anna, the reason she stood faithfully for 84 years is because God had already spoken to her of His outcome as He has to most of us. And I pray that for all of us, we will be rescued into the story of the King of Glory. And our hope is such that it will not disappoint. Backing up Roman 5, it doesn't disappoint because of the cross of Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in which we hope. It doesn't stall when we're in the middle of persecution and when we're in the middle of suffering and we're in the middle of mysteries in this world because this hope is a hope that we have found in the beautiful resurrection of Jesus Christ in our soul so that when we look at Sydney 45 minutes ago now, every one of us in this room who have hoped in Christ went right back to the moment when I was a nine-year-old in my parents' den and I said, I put hope in Jesus who before I was ever born knew me before the foundation of the world knew me, knew my days, ordained them, rescued me, chose me, and adopted me. And so I'm hoping in that. 
And so I just hope now forward in the promises of God in Christ Jesus. And so I love, I love this season to be able to just park and say, God, here's, here's the conviction. It flows from the measures of the promises of the living God. And here's my preparation. I'm going to immerse myself in the truth of your word and not allow myself to be stalled by temporal issues that face me, but I am going to plant my heart, my life, my soul, and my mind in the truths of the unbending, unending, beautiful word of God. And that's the hope in which I stand. And so this is a little bit of an interaction moment instead of me just talking. If you could, if you could, because Advent is a season where we just share some words that lend us to this hope that we have. So if you could um, summarize the Christmas story in a single word, um, what would you choose? I mean, this is, this is a single word that captures the essence of the desperate need of mankind. It points to that need and in a manner that God met that need. If you, if you just had a single word um, to just say, this is the word that speaks to my heart, what would it be? Thank you. Hope and love. God is with us. I love that word. Rescue, redemption, hope, promise. Good word. We've been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. As I, as I was putting this in my notes and just thinking of our interaction, I honestly um, did not ponder it in this manner. Um, I had on, I'd written this down as, as an answer according to Scripture, and everything we just described are descriptors of the answer. And then Rick Wheeler, being the genius one, trumped me yesterday by tweeting this out. I, I struggle with a singular word that really captures our heart. I mean, how do you share a word that describes the utter rebellion of Adam and Eve, and and even more specifically, the utter rebellion of our own souls? The rebellion that we have and the mire that we have in sin, God's response to the sin of His people, the hope that He brings, the glorious nature of the rule of God and the reign of God. I I came up with a few words. You've said every one of them. I wrote down, I don't know that I heard this word. I'm sure it um, shook out of some of your hearts. The first word I thought of was grace. Oh God, I... Thank you for your grace. I thought of redemption because the word redemption is so powerful for me that that God not only has met me in the midst of my sin, He has bought back my past. He has redeemed the suffering and shame that I have brought to this world. He has redeemed it, washed it, and made me and made you whole. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I thought of justification, which um, the last time I preached on this out of the book of Romans, I wept for 10 minutes without the ability to speak because of the legal transaction in heaven as God, God washed our sins away, justified us once and eternally before the King of glory. And we are now and forevermore, if we are child of, if we are children of Jesus, we are forevermore justified before Him. You cannot undo the legal transaction in the heavenly realms. Woo! That that just makes me happy right now. Beyond that, it makes me filled with joy. I thought of the word, this is the word of the day, by the way, love. I can't do justice to that. I'll just say the love of God. The single word that captures God's response to human need, 
our, our, the gravity of our sin, the desperation of our soul. It's not a descriptor, it's a name. Scott kind of, kind of shared it. It is Emmanuel. It is Jesus Christ. It is the King of glory. What God brings to the table is the furious love that He has for us, the redeeming work that He has for us, the grace that He brings for us, the justification that He has for us. And it is all found in the fullness of the name Jesus. Here's how it's written in Scripture 700 years before the babe was born. In Isaiah, I should sing this right now, for unto us a child is born. A son is given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. It will stretch directly into your heart and mine. Oh, Lord, thank you for this word. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom. He will establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. His name, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. Praise God, and I'm with Mark. I would, I would, I should dance right now. God's response, and listen, listen, hear this. God's response was not something. He did not establish an institution. He did not establish a framework. He did not establish tradition. It was not a new program. The one thing that could rescue us from ourselves, it was not a word or a descriptor. Descriptor, it was the consummate expression of love and grace, hope and promise, present and future. It is and was and forevermore will be Jesus. And if we can declare that from this pulpit, declare that from our hearts, and declare that with our souls, it will do well. I wrote three thoughts, and here's the first one that I would just share with you today that are extraordinarily simple and extraordinarily earth-shattering and life-changing. Jesus is the love of God to sinners. Just, just welcome to Christmas. Jesus is the love of God to a group of people who are extraordinarily needful of His love. The Scripture says in Matthew, the first chapter, verses 21 through 23, she, being Mary, will give birth to a son, you're to name him Jesus. And here's why. Because he will save his people from their sins. There's jubilation in our hearts right now, I hope. Welcome to the world, incarnate God. For in you, we will be saved from our sins and our depravity. Because Jesus is the love of God to sinners. He is the love of God in Christ to those of us who need Him greatly. Now, to, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son. They will call Him Emmanuel, and God is with us. Praise the Lord. He is with us right now. He is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the resurrection, the life, the Alpha, the Omega. He is all of these things and more. His name is Jesus. He is approachable. He is beautiful. 
He is rescuer. He is the expression of the living God. He is Jesus. To look into the manger and to see a baby boy, the amazing love and the abounding grace of who he is, this is the Christmas story in its love in its most shocking form. Listen, the creator becomes the created. The Lord of Lords, this is Philippians 2, humbles himself and takes on flesh. The one who formed a perfect world steps into a world stained with imperfection. The one who deserves worship became the sacrificial lamb. The one who subjects himself to being despised and rejected is our redeemer and friend. In one name, in the name of Jesus, the redemptive story is written across our hearts, across the nation, across time and into eternity. Jesus. I don't feel the need to end that sentence. Jesus. Jesus. His reach is long and his desire is deep. God's response to your rebellion and mine was to give us himself. What a furious love. So Jesus is the love of God and sinners. His response to our rebellion is to give us himself. Out of that, I wrote my second thought. We're impregnated with redemptive love and kingdom possibility. As soon as he announced this, he said, now all of this took place to fulfill. A virgin will be impregnated and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. I was reading this with my family, and it's going on into the first chapter. It's like, it's like this is this beautiful story of grace upon grace that God will bestow upon the world that he will give to us by his name and for his glory. Jesus was born in her, and there's this powerful movement across our lives for those of us who have come to know Christ as Savior and Redeemer. He didn't come in this ethereal, esoteric way to be the love of God. He came to be the love of God in Christ very personally and intimately so that he could impregnate us with the possibility of the Spirit of the living God living in and through us. It's such a beautiful and powerful reality. She is, she's born, Jesus was born in her. How do you and I respond to the perfect love of God in Christ? How, how do you respond to the abounding grace of Christ? How do you respond to the possibility of new birth? Those aren't preaching moments that we pass by because it's Christmas. I want to read those again and then answer it. How do you respond to the perfect love of Jesus in a very personal manner? You, not like preaching you like everybody out there, you. How do you respond to the perfect love of God in Christ? The astounding grace. This deep mystery of the gospel. How do you respond to the new birth that God has given you? We read in the Luke, the first chapter, that Mary teaches us how to respond. I'm the Lord's servant. I lift holy hands of submission to the living God. May it be done in me according to your word, Lord. 
I am impregnated with the hope of your possibility and with the promise that I could not conjure in and of myself. I respond to the love of God with a returning love for God. And with holy hands, I lift this before you. I discovered this for um, in my own journey in a walk in, in North Carolina. I've shared this a few times, and so I will be very brief with this, but I, I don't know how you have responded or whether you've responded to the prolific love of God, a love that has reached into the depths of your sin and willingly lifts you out. A love that not only reaches in, but impregnates you then with the kingdom possibility as you walk this earth. I was, I was, um, I grew up, my father's on the front row. I grew up in a home filled with prayer and love and the grace of the cross and the power of the cross of Christ. Generations of faithfulness in that walk. And for that, I do not take for granted. And for that, I have extraordinary kingdom stewardship responsibility. But at 19 years old, as um, my parents had planted many seeds, I went and, and what turned into an extraordinary two-week journey in a camp in North Carolina as I began to unfold what God had been unfolding in me since I was a young child, since I came to know him as a nine-year-old. And at 19, I just began to wrestle with all the questions that many of us wrestle with throughout our latter years. God, who are you? What does this mean to me? How do I respond to this love? What does it look like? I had honestly walked through with my parents several years where I said, I don't want to respond. And in fact, I want to walk away from this furious love that you have and that God has for me. And it came through this time as I went down one evening to have a moment of prayer that turned into about four to five straight days of walking a journey and discovering the depths of the love of God. And it was a very physical, um, tangible place for me because I went and stood on a rock pulpit and I stood and faced a physical cross and I began what I thought would be a short dialogue and became a four or five day journey of just speaking to God, laying some things down. And as I began to come face to face with the furious and consuming love of God in Christ, I will tell you that many things that I had pursued over the years prior did not make sense. Many of the things that he wanted for me began to unfold. The consuming fire of his presence captured my heart in tangible ways. The love of God in Christ melted away things that didn't matter in this world. And I was brought into a place not of solely reconciliation and redemption, but I was brought to a place of the furious love of God as he met me at a cross and crucified me for the sake of his name. I would pray not that you had a moderate encounter as a small child so that you became a religious zealot. I would pray that you would be a person who has stood before the cross and the love of God in Christ and that you have been crucified with Christ so that you no longer live. But Christ lives in you. And so the life that you live in this body, according to carrying on to the book of Matthew, as he called us out in in chapters 9 and 10, the life that you live in this body, you won't be able to cause it. You won't allow it to make sense in this world because it will not make sense. And the more we try to align with this world, the less we understand of the furious love of God in Christ. 
We have been impregnated with something far greater than how we can make it through the next day or how we can be thought of by our peers. We have been impregnated with the kingdom of the living God. And we are asking God, how do we die to self so that we can be consumed? For the danger, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I think I've already said this, but I, this is worth saying again. We're placed on this earth to be so filled with the love of God and the grace of Christ that like Paul, we say it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. When that happens, every place that you and I live may become a Bethlehem. And every day that you and I live is Advent, an eager expectation of something much anticipated. I walk into this day and go, God, what are you going to do in this day? How are you going to move among us? And like Mary, and I'll only carry this metaphor so far on this pulpit, but like Mary... You and I are given the privilege and responsibility of delivering Christ into this world. We have been called biblically to be a part not only of His great and beautiful rescue, but we have been called to be a part of His reconciliation of this world. We are a part of the ministry of the living God who came into this world and spoke life to sinners who impregnated us with kingdom possibility and who looks at us now and says, every day there should be a Bethlehem. Every moment there is a star that is walking over you or to look at the life of Moses in our own lives. There is a glow about you that draws us to you because there is someone living in you. And there is this beautiful hope that has enfolded your life. And you simply look back at them and go, you know, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul prayed that Christ would fill us in the book of Ephesians, fill us with the presence and the power and the faithfulness of Christ within us, our hope of glory. Jesus said in John, the 14th chapter, I will live in you and you will be an expression of who I am. And I was running the other day and I don't expect this to make sense, but I honestly had to pause on somewhere, either Veterans Parkway or Longleaf Pine and just stop and ponder this reality. And so I just pulled my phones out and my notes and I started to reconcile this and I pray that the Holy Spirit will let you wrestle with it more. He's put on flesh in jars of clay. So here's what that means among us right now. That grace and truth, which John 14 said, came and lives among us, it lives here. The grace and truth of the living Christ is manifest among the body of believers right now because every day for us is a Bethlehem and every day is the advent of the power, of the glory, of the renown of Jesus Christ. I just, I wrote several things. I could go on. That means that in this room, because we are a group of sinners who have been made whole and saints by the power of the cross, that we are a group of people impregnated with possibility and we are a people who live today as if the advent is true, then there is wonderful counsel in this room because the wonderful counselor lives in us. This room is filled with the wisdom of the Spirit of the living God. Oh my goodness, what's happening in this church? 
That there is the peace of the prince that is manifest among the body of believers because we have been reconciled to God in Christ. There is everlasting promise. And when we start to speak of the resurrection, we do become non-baptistic and we dance at least in our hearts. And we're just looking at each other going, are we? I mean, I won't get personal. We have rejuvenated in the midst of suffering in our family this week at the power of the resurrection and the hope of Jesus. And it is among us that there is life that is happening here because Jesus is the way and the truth and He is the life. There is redemption that is going on. And many of us, and I, as I walked last night and I watched, I, I, as I watched, I knew, God, you want to write new stories and hearts. And I have no doubt that in this room, there are some stories that are being written that you are praying that the King of Glory can scratch through that and mark over it and you can get a restart. And I just come to tell you, in here, right now, it's better than that. He washes it clean and white as snow. And the redeeming story of the King of Glory goes on in this room all the time because we're the body of Christ impregnated with kingdom possibility. And Bethlehem is here and Advent is among us. Praise the Lord. And the love of God is furious. Jesus is the love of God to sinners. We are impregnated with that redemptive love and kingdom possibility. Therefore, every place that you and I live is a Bethlehem. And every day that you and I live is a day of the Advent. Glory to God in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father, from whom all blessings flow. Praise you from the lips and lives of creatures here below. Praise Father and Son. Praise you, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would foster within us a rising of gratitude and thanksgiving. For God, you are a friend of sinners. And you have met us at the greatest point of our need. Father, for most of us in this room, you have stripped away sin and death and replaced that with life and hope. God, I pray that you will impregnate our hearts today with kingdom possibility. Jesus, I pray for the next few minutes as we sing a song that Bethlehem will settle here, that the Advent will be our hope and promise our eager expectation. For unto us, a child is given. He is peace. He is life. He is grace. He is truth. He is redemption. He is freedom. And his name is Jesus. Some of our pastors will be here at the front. 
If you have walked into this room burdened, we would love to pray with you. We're just here not to take the role of the Spirit. There is no interceder between God and men. But it is powerful to hear your name lifted before the King of Glory. If you would like to pray with the pastor, come as we sing. This altar is always open. You just simply want to kneel before the Lord, your God, your Maker. If you would like to know Christ beyond a religious story, but as an intimate king and a beautiful friend, either as we sing this song or as we stand after this service, we welcome you to come and talk with any one of us who are here at the front. So church, we close the services we do every service just in worship, in adoration, coming before the king, So as our pastors come, if you need to come right now, come. If not, would you just stand and sing unto the King of glory with us? Would you stand? Let's sing this beautiful song of the Advent.